ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. We all try and do our bit for the climate. You bring your keep cup to the cafe, you say no to plastic bags, you consider buying an electric car and then you realise how much they cost. But, like, come on, it's going to take you drinking from a keep cup every day until the eventual heat death of the universe to cancel out the problems caused by the big polluters. So how do we get everyone on the same page? I'm Tegan Taylor and this is Quick Smart, the show that feeds you big ideas in bite-sized pieces. So if money talks, what would it take to make being kind to the planet profitable? Are we incentivising the wrong things when it comes to climate? And should we be thinking about ways to make the economy a little less single-use and a little more circular and sustainable? One person who has been digging into this uh, in some depth is Anthony Fennell. Hello, Anthony. Thank you. Hello. So one of the ways we could tackle climate change is by adopting a circular economy. What does that actually involve? Look, it's a way of thinking about the world in, I guess, a more systemic way. So thinking about our planet and everything we do in our lives in a circular kind of way. So at the moment, we have a very linear way of thinking. And that comes from the fact that we live in a consumer capitalist world. Capitalism is about extraction. And what we, what we actually do in the world is we dig things up, we process them, we consume them, and then we dispose of them. There's no circularity involved there. And people who advocate for this idea of having a, a circular economy approach say that we shouldn't be wasteful, that everything should be designed right from the beginning to be reused. So not this linear approach, but a much more circular approach that stops us thinking about resources as waste, as potential waste, but thinks about them having an afterlife, if you like. They have a purpose at the moment, but then they can be repurposed and reused. So I sat down with a panel of experts for my show Future Tense to look at some of these issues around a circular economy approach and and what it means and how it could be beneficial. It's based really, if you think about it, on what happens in nature. Yeah, there are no bins in nature. No. And if you think about it, you know, like a plant grows, it has flowers, it might bear fruit, it feeds animals, eventually it dies, it goes into the soil, it helps to fertilise that soil and other things grow from it. It's a kind of, again, a perfect cycle of, of nature. We don't tend to do that in our constructed world, but we used to do it. Yeah, when did this shift happen? The big change probably came in the 20th century when we started to see technology as the kind of solution for everything. If we had a problem in any kind of field, the easiest way to fix it was to build some kind of machine or some kind of system that would overcome the problem. And a lot of people who are really interested in this idea of a circular economy approach will say, again, with design, we stopped designing in a natural way to take advantage of shade, to take advantage, we're talking about building houses or mm. architecture, to take advantage of shade, of, of breeze, that kind of stuff. And Again, we've come back to the idea that technology can do the fix for us. If it's a really hot day, we can put on the air conditioner. We now see that there is a limit to the way in which we have been operating, this idea of an extractive approach to the world. And perhaps this circular economy idea is a way of coming back round and actually making more use of those resources over time. Built into the phrase circular economy is this idea of an economy. Like, how could it be? a profitable way of 
approaching things? Well, the problem with incentivising anything is that it does get tied to money and then therefore whatever is going to make the most profit, particularly in our kind of system, is going to win the day and that's not going to be the environment necessarily. Uh, It depends on what your priorities are and it depends on where the incentives are, where the subsidies are and where the regulation is. Oh, regulation. That's <laughs> it's one of those things you're like, oh, that's boring, but it's sort of non-negotiable in this space, isn't it? It's very much a space that hasn't really been looked at and a lot of our politics in recent decades has been, been very anti-regulation. You know, we've been told that government is the problem. You know, Ronald Reagan's famous saying, "It's government isn't the solution, it's the problem. And so regulation has been seen as a bad thing. We have these terms. We talk about red tape. But regulation is essentially a way in which we as a collective group of people, a society, a way in which we manage what we do. Some regulations we we all take on board. So we take on board, you know, driving on a certain side of the road because it suits us to do that and we can see very clearly the advantages of doing that. Other forms of regulation we don't like. So what we really need to do is look not at regulating to punish but regulating to get the desirable outcomes that we as a society feel that we want. And I think with the environment and particularly with climate change, there are a lot of people now saying, you know, the way we do regulation, the way we incentivise or subsidise, say, the fossil fuel industry is counterproductive. Whether you agree with the right of a company to make a profit or not, to subsidise those kind of companies, to not enforce greater regulation on them is counterproductive for us as a society and for for the planet as a whole. Can we talk about sort of what regulation could look like? Because it seems to me that the the conversation around circular economies has been very much like a kind of plucky grassroots sort of vibe where people are like, bring a keep cup, bring your plastic bag to the supermarket and buy an electric car and the government can sort of step back from that and say, oh, well nice work, everyone. When did that shift happen or has it always been like this? It's probably always been like that to an extent. You know, capitalism and the the primacy of making a profit has been at the centre of what we do in our capitalist society for, what, several hundred years, that we forget that it's, that's not necessarily the only way to think of the way the world works, that it shouldn't necessarily be a prioritisation of profit over everything else. And I think things get confused because there's this kind of idea of individual responsibility, that individuals have to really make a change. And that's true. We all have to do our best for the planet, do our best to try and recycle, all of those kinds of things. But we also need to remember that, you know, corporations dominate our world, governments dominate our world. And unless they are serious and unless they really work at regulating themselves in a better way, then, you know, people feel frustrated and they turn off or they feel as though it's tokenistic. I mean, a good example of that, I think, is there's been a lot of talk in Australia and other countries in the last 10 years about getting rid of single-use plastic bags. Mm. Um, And, you know, by and large, that's been achieved in a country like Australia. All of that talk was about self-responsibility. It was about consumers. But when I go to, to Woolworths or to Coles, it's not my choice. I don't ask for things to be triple packed. (laughs) triple wrapped, put in a, in a cardboard box and then put in another box with a ribbon on top of it. I'm not asking for that. Companies are just doing that to lure me in. Uh, you know, people didn't ask for the plastic bags for shopping. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to see how quickly they've adapted. I think we've got to kind of look and say, yes, there's personal responsibility, but we've also got to think again systemically about 
how are the systems that we've constructed, how are they framed, what are they doing and, and how do we share that responsibility between corporations, individuals and also government? What could a different model look like when it comes to subsidies or taxes or regulation? One of the people I talked to on that topic is Jess Scully, who is a festival director, a curator. She's written a lot about these kinds of issues, particularly about the circular economy approach. And what she said to me was, you know, that there's a perversity in the system that, and this is what she says, she says, human labour gets taxed, and the quote is, in every conceivable way, (laughs) and we can all relate to that, and yet we don't tax resource companies in the way that many of us think we should. So we're subsidising the things that we're trying to get less of, she says, and we're penalising the things we want more of. We still, in Australia and other countries, provide massive subsidies to the fossil fuel industry. So a simple change there would be to get our priorities right in terms of taxation and in terms of the kind of subsidies that government provides. What about other countries? Like, who's doing this really well? Look, there's various countries around the world who take this very seriously, all of this stuff very seriously. Taiwan is one of them that I know of. They've got a really interesting policy with regard to household waste. Uh, So the amount of household waste you can actually generate is quite minuscule and you're penalised, basically, if you produce too much waste in a given week. The problem with, I think, Australia is that we're a very large country with a small population and a big resource base. And we're also very much influenced by the kind of politics and, I guess, economic thinking of the United States. And we know that there are big issues there around just the denial of what's going on in the world, uh, whether it's politics or the environment. But there are some good local examples as well, like the Northern Rivers in New South Wales is really at the vanguard here. It's a really interesting one. The Northern Rivers area, particularly around Lismore, got incredibly badly affected by floods. Uh, There's a guy called Ben Roach who's with Southern Cross University. And one of Ben's roles is to actually work with them to try and, you know, make these these circular economy approach ideas, make them real. You know, there's a situation there at Lismore where a whole lot of buildings have to be pulled down, are still being pulled down and have to be rebuilt. So the idea being, well, how do we do this in a way that incorporates the knowledge of, of local people about flooding, about disaster, about how to respond... How do we do that? How do we reuse some of the materials that are worth reusing so that things aren't wasted and to save money? And then also, how do we start thinking about more resilient ways to build houses that will be more responsive, not just to the environment, but also to climate change risks in future? Yes, and I suppose maybe a case study for other councils to emulate. I think the thing that gets me about these sorts of conversations is, in one way, the only way we're going to see big change is if governments and big corporations are the ones that really, you know, have regulation and actually change big systemic differences. But as an individual, that feels a really long way away from me. And sometimes it does feel good to bring a keep cup or bring a reusable shopping bag because that's something that I have control over. Like, what should little individual people do to be part of the big systemic changes that we need? And, you know, it's not surprising that it it feels... Like, you know, I, all I can do is, is do my little bit uh, because, as Jess Scully would, would point out, that's the way the whole system is designed. It's designed not to make you think about the consequences. I mean, she talks about, you know, the most pernicious thing in the world is the little plastic bin in your kitchen. You just yeah. put your stuff in there and you don't it, have to think about it again. It disappears and then ceases to exist, Anthony. You know, things only can change through politics and, again, through regulation. So 
It's about people becoming much more involved in politics and much more involved in their local community. And that's the solution, but as we know, that's also the problem, isn't it? We've got an environment at the moment where people are enormously sceptical of politics. And while we've got that kind of attitude, there's not a lot that people can do individually because it's very hard to get people engaged. That's why I think projects like this Northern Rivers project are really important because that is about pulling the community together. I hate to say it, but human beings are 11th hour actors. We think a lot about things or we don't think a lot about things, but we act right at the 11th hour. It may take more destruction of the environment, may may take a more unpleasant environment before we start to actually really kick in and think this is a problem. I do think we are starting to see that in the last couple of years. You know, there are so many natural disasters around the world that, you know, you talk to people of all stripes and they kind of acknowledge the world, there is something seriously wrong going on. Moving that from that sort of recognition through to genuine action, it's a difficult thing. Oh, well, let's act at 10.30 instead of at 11. Maybe write a letter to your MP. Anthony Fennell, thanks so much for chatting with me. Thank you very much. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.